Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see so many gathered at uh, church this morning. If you're joining with us in person or online or listening on uh, on CD ministry later on today, you two are all very welcome as we join together in public worship with one another. And on your behalf this morning, I give a warm welcome back to uh, Mark. Yes, we have Mark back with us again. Welcome, Mark. And welcome to Naomi. Good to see both of you with us. And we look forward to hearing what the Lord has said on your heart for each of us today. And welcome to uh, the boys from the BB, uh, to Matthew and to Darren, uh, the company section we have and their families. It's good to see you all here this morning and it's good to have you here as part of the recognition of you receiving your, your Queen's Award badge this morning. And it's good that you have came right through BB from Anchor Boy right up to senior section and it's just a wonderful achievement. And congratulations to you and it's just great to, to have you here. And also just to say, folks, that as these boys receive their Queen's badges, this is not just the badge they receive. This is a critical part of their CV. And this is a wonderful achievement for them. It's a wonderful achievement for them, not only uh, in normal years, but particularly this year, as we all commemorate and celebrate uh, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II's Platinum Jubilee year. So this is quite a significant day for them in this year of celebration. And so if you get an opportunity, folks, uh, make sure to congratulate these lads because this will go on their CV. And believe you me, as someone who sits in board of governors and does many interviews around the countryside, uh, I can tell you that stands up very strongly in any interview process. So well done, lads, and we'll talk more later on about that. It is great to see so many people coming back out to church and returning back to church again. It's very encouraging for us as, as church session, but also for us as the church family. And I think it's important that we do try to get back to some kind of normality. I know COVID isn't gone away, you know, in the famous words of a politician. It's still around us, uh, but it's up to us to always be mindful of that and to be mindful to keep our distance and to uh, be very cautious no matter what we do. But in these challenging days of uncertainty, be it economically, be it politically, I think it's important that we gather together in God's house and worship together and public worship with one another. Because we know everything else seems to be against us sometimes and when life seems to be challenging for each and every one of us, uh, our only hope is in God. And we should always seek his face and join together, not just in praise and worship with one another, but to, to socialize with each other and be part of the church family together to support one another uh, and no matter what situation you find each of ourselves in. So if you haven't made that step back to church yet, if you're still listening online, could I just issue a word of encouragement to say church is a safe place to be. We want to see you back and we really want to see you back worshipping with us again here in First Cross Island. Just a few announcements to make before we commence our service to say that midweek is now over for the season and will be commenced uh, at September time. Prayer meeting is and will be as usual next Sunday morning prior to the church service at 11am in the minor hall. And next Sunday morning service on the 15th of March will be led and conducted by the Reverend Ken Nelson. Also to say that the Sunday school rota is now available uh, in the photocopy room. If you haven't received your copy, uh, make sure to nip in there and get that. And finally, just to say that the Presbyterian Herald is now available in the vestibule. There are some still from the last edition. If you haven't picked up your last copy, check it as well. Pick up your copy. You see a copy there that is for a neighbour or a family member or friend. Pick theirs up as well and make sure they get out. But anyway, that, these are all my announcements, Mark. We now hand over to you and to the conductor service. Thank you. Thanks, David. Psalm 100 really is a wonderful psalm. And it's calling us, even this morning, the gallery worship, to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. It's a psalm that doesn't need anything from me to add to it. So instead, let's stand together and sing the words of that right psalm, Psalm 100. All people that on earth do well. <laughs>
set our hearts as we come before God in prayer. The Lord is good. The steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Father God, we thank you and praise you. We can experience that truth each and every day of our lives. How wonderful it is to have a God like you, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abiding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Yet you are a God who will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Father, we thank you for not dealing with us in the manner that we deserve. Thank you that even though we so often forget about you, we turn our back on you. Even as we sometimes open and rebel, you're not a God who comes down in righteous wrath to make an end of us all, but you're patient and merciful. And like a father, you tend to strive. Thank you, Father, that you did not keep your flock in a state of sin and shame and nakedness, but you saw fit to send the Lord, the servant crusher, the one to deliver his people from sin and from its guilt and God. Thank you that in his grace and mercy he seeks to serve and sets the prisoner free. He provides us with all that we need to have our sins covered and atoned for. And thank you for his, his substitution right here, his glorious resurrection, and his continued mediation between God and man, our faithful high priest. Father, as we come to worship you this morning here in this church building, we ask your continued grace and mercy. Especially in those in our pews who do not yet know you as Father, for your Son as Savior. May they read and understand Scripture this morning. And even if it be your will, may they taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, speak to everyone in here this morning, sinners and sinners saved by grace. May your word go forth, not just from the lips of man, but into the hearts of those who need it. Father, clear our minds of, of all distractions now, whether pleasant or distressing. And teach us by your infallible and your mighty word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, our Bible reading this morning is taken from the book of Genesis and Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to open it up there. Genesis chapter 3. We're not quite reading the whole chapter, but not far off it. So Genesis Chapter 3 and beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, You may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves one cross. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, We told you that you were naked. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the fields. On your belly shall you go, and dust shall you eat on the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his head. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. 
Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The Adam said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And the dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments and skin and filth. Amen. And will end. So this point in our service, I'm going to call on David Hannah to come uh, forward to the front to make a special presentation to two of the lads from BB, and then we'll hear about the the work of BB as well. So. Over to you, David. Thank you, Mark. Good morning, everyone. Well, two things this morning we're going to cover are the uh, work of the, the Boys of Faith. It's my pleasure to present the Queen's Award to Darren Stowe and Matthew Wilson. And it's lovely that their families are here joining us this morning in worship. The past few years have been very destructive for many organisations and the Boys Brigade has been no exception. But we're finally up and running for our indoor, um, indoor meetings back in October and then we had, had the pause button then in, in December and January just with the, the COVID uh, levels rising quite high in the local community. But we're up and running now uh, since February and it's, it's, it's going very, very well. And on a positive note, we have 93 boys now registered with the company and 12 years. That's a huge company and uh, it's growing and it's very, very encouraging to see that. From a captain's point of view, I would like to thank um, every leader who comes along each Friday evening. Not only the Friday evening, it's also the time in preparation to run the programme as well. Lots of hours put in behind the scenes that many people don't see, but my grateful thanks to all our leaders who make that happen. Just wanted to give you a few updates, just a few uh, highlights of the year so far. Uh, in February, we were invited to the seventh reception of the Lord Mayor uh, down in Craig Avenue there. Uh, and so the Lord Mayor's son is actually one of our Craig reception members, uh, Cody Barr, so it was good to get together and, and, and enjoy that and, and learn a little bit about the local government. Um, in April time, we had our Duke of Edinburgh Bronze Award, uh, where we had nine boys registered for the Bronze Award and they took part in that weekend. We teamed up with five other companies um, in Northern Ireland and we trained them and then we got them assessed and they could again for that. So I think we had all the boys who, who got involved with that as well. So then also we, this year we, we ran a series of outdoor events um, and that was really all about getting active, getting adventurous, uh, and it was really open to all boys uh, and their families as well. We just, and then we call that the Spring Challenge. And the, the three events are there's a couple of the park run, that's a five kilometer event. Uh, we did some biking uh, in the afternoon in Castle Island, and then we did a walk uh, we launched a few weeks ago. And then just recently, there, just yesterday, we had a um, we event there for our um, year 59, where we uh, introduced them to camping and mountain walking, so that was at a training hall uh, near Alamo. So it was just a, a camp on, on Friday evening, and then a short walk. Uh, on the Saturday as well, so that was really worthwhile uh, enough to do that. Now, the Boys Brigade is um, it's all great to have such a, uh, all these outdoor events, these activities, and trying new things, but our main objective in the Boys Brigade um, is the advancement of Christ's kingdom. And back in 2020, back in 2020 the Northern Ireland District had good plans to run a mission event uh, for the Boys Brigade. Not just with COVID, that didn't quite happen, but um, with the, the, the rearrangement and what they did then was they sent us a multimedia presentation out, and we actually ran that in the church here in the, in the month of March, uh, and we actually we call that the Big Night Out. So that was a, a really good event, and ensuring that the, the gospel was, was shared with all our, all our ways. Looking ahead uh, for the rest of the year, in June the 25th, that date will be the family fun activity day at Cal.
Which cannot be 
they still dedicate their time to grow closer to their God and their Savior each week. Then you ask for your hand to be upon the session and the elders at this time of vacancy. Father, we thank you that things are moving forward. But still we pray that you will guide our men here to, to the right minister for this place. Not one that fits their own agenda, but one that will unashamedly preach the gospel and teach us God from your word each time he speaks. We especially thank you for the Reverend Colin Harris who's helped look after this church in the absence of a minister. Father, we can't thank you enough for sending him over. It's so wonderful to see him in the pulpit here each time he comes with a smile on his face as he speaks of our Savior. A genuine man with a kind and a gracious spirit. We pray that you might continue to give him the health and the strength that he needs to minister, not only to us here on Friday, but also to his own family. Of course, Father, if many of our own congregation are still in bed, even some who are seriously ill, and all we can do is bring them before you and ask that you will heal them. Use the doctors and the nurses, the medication to bring about full recoveries. And Father, we know you can do it, if it is your will. For we've seen men and women, even in this church, come back to full health and strength after a time of illness. And that is answered prayer, and so it encourages us to ask for the same again. We continue to pray for those who've been bereaved in recent weeks and months. Many, of course, still feel the pain and the loss. Grief that will linger for a long time. So we pray that you will continue to comfort and remember. Father, I'm asking you to bring our land before you this morning, especially those who will now be in power over us. And Father, we've watched and we've waited. We've hoped for the best and prepared for the worst. But who are we to know what is for our good? Many of us here today are worried or distressed about the future with this new leadership, but we've nothing to fear. For we know that governments and kingdoms will rise and fall, but you, O oh God, will remain exalted forever. Father, help your people to hold fast to you in these days of uncertainty. And may your name be left in high, no matter who or what may be against us. But as we come to study your word in just a moment, we ask that you will refresh our weariness, that you will renew our strength. We pray that we might be reminded of your goodness and faithfulness towards us, and the call to memory your love and grace, even in our own lives. Teach us all from your word. And may we all go from this place encouraged and challenged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before we come to study God's word, let's come again to sing uh, a praise together with the words of nothing but the Father.
the story is told, and it's a story and some of you will know, maybe all of you, of a particular minister that's new to a congregation. And he's going out and about the doors of uh, his church members, trying to get to know them, trying to encourage them in through the doors on Sunday morning. And it's all going well. He gets into most of the houses, gets a cup of tea and a biscuit or two, and then he moves on to the next house. And eventually he comes to a house with this lovely big garden. And he walks up through the garden to get to the front door. And he rattles the door and he presses the doorbell, but there's no answer. And so he tries again, but still nobody comes to answer. But he sees something move inside, a shadow of someone, and he knows rightly they're just hiding from him. And not wanting to push just too hard, he decides to leave a little note. And he gets a pen and a piece of paper, and he simply says, on this note, that he'll call again tomorrow at exactly the same time. And he leaves a little verse as well beside it. The verse was from Revelation 3 and verse 20. And it says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And he thought this would be a lovely way to encourage uh, the occupant of the house to open the door from tomorrow. So the minister went away and sure enough he came back at the same time the next day. And as he approached the front door he was delighted because he seen a little piece of paper with his name on it, hanging from the letterbox. And he figured, well they mustn't be here but at least they left a note for me. And so he opened it up and all that it said was Genesis chapter 3 verse 10. And rightly assuming that this was a reply to Revelation 3 that he left yesterday, he proceeded to look up the verse quickly and read this from our passage this morning. I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. That's just a little bit of humour to warm you up this morning, but it's kind of hard to believe that someone looked at this chapter in Genesis 3 and managed to fit a joke into it in some way. Because it really is quite a, a distressing passage. This is the first time that we meet sin. Sin enters into the world. The effects of sin. Creation is never going to be the same. It's tainted with the awfulness of corrupt mankind. Of course there's some rays of hope in there too. But this morning I want you to think of three things from this passage in particular. I want you to think of Satan's successful strategy. How it is that he tries to tempt and lure Eve into sin, and of course us as well. That's the first thing. Secondly, as this is the record of the fall, we'll look at the consequences of it. And specifically, the three relationships that are broken as a result. And finally, we're going to consider our God's response to all of this. We can even say his remedy. So first things first, what is Satan's strategy towards Eve in this passage? Well, if you read through the first couple of verses, you can really see the whole thing start to escalate. First, Satan waits until Eve is alone and she's near the temptation. She's no backup. That's really the first thing. Satan often uses that as a tactic because it's a very successful one. An awful lot of temptations which are so greatly intensified when we are lonely. But he gets her alone and he does three things first. And the first thing he does, the crafty serpent, he causes Eve to doubt. Verse 1, he says, Did God actually say that? Is God really holding you back from enjoying all the things that he's placed in this beautiful garden? There must be some kind of mistake. That doesn't sound like a love of God to me. And so often, when we see something that appeals to our sinful nature, we're tempted to ask the same questions. And the sad thing is, we don't even need Satan to fill our minds with these thoughts. We ask ourselves, does the Bible really say that? Is the thing which I'm considering doing now is really such a bad thing? It'll make me happy. It's something I'm going to enjoy. Would God not want me to experience that? 
turn to scripture to try and build up our inner arguments looking for somewhere in its pages it tells us explicitly that what we're about to do is wrong it doesn't matter how sinful this thing might be by implication it has to be explicit or else you're going through with and so doubt is strong and that's what happens with Eve here in this passage Satan sees she's starting to doubt and emboldened by that he goes a step further and he tells an outright lie verse 4 he says you will not surely die there won't be any consequences to this act of rebellion against your maker God wouldn't possibly punish you for such a small infringement minor infraction again that's not something that we need Satan to do for us to lie us to deceive us we do it ourselves we do we lie ourselves we say things like I'm only looking looking's fine I'm not lying I'm just bending the truth or maybe you think you're protecting someone from the truth that's okay surely that's commendable it's not stealing it's just borrowing from somebody that doesn't know and probably something that's actually quite popular nowadays among Christians whether we know it or not we look to scripture and we say that doesn't apply anymore that's out of context what God once called a sin it's not a, it's not a sin anymore of course that's wrong that's a lie and it's a lie from the father of lies to draw people away from God but he starts off creating doubt he fortifies it with a lie and then knowing he's on the money and he just starting to think he hits her then with probably one of the best weapons in his arsenal a promise of something in return verse 5 says for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil see Satan's eyes always offer such great benefits otherwise it wouldn't even be a temptation he promises you advantages if you rebel he offers you improvements you'll be like God of course that's a big temptation to us to be the God of our own lives and so by implication Satan really sows the seed of discontent what you have now all the blessings from God it's not enough you can have far more you can have it by eating this forbidden fruit and all of a sudden Eve has a desire for betterment the devil still draws in people to his self-interests by these false hopes and the promising advantages. You have a bigger house and a better car for your sons. More fun and more pleasure if you're more Happier if you leave your spouse. More money to spend on yourself if you terminate a life. He always makes every sin seem so profitable. But a simple methods of seduction and deception to make us just like Eve believe that we're doing the right thing and causing us to fall into sin but of course we must resist the devil and he will flee from us fill our hearts and minds with the truth and the hope of scripture so that we can plainly see the lies and the false promises of this great deceit he shows doubt he fortifies it with an outright lie and he promises great advantages and as a result, Eve is no sooner a sinner than she is a tempter herself. She leads, leads Adam into exactly the same sin. Satan's successful strategy is the first thing that we really see in Genesis 3. But then we see the consequences. And in particular, we see the breakdown of three relationships. What three relationships are these? Well, the first the breakdown is between Adam and Eve. Breakdown between man and woman, really man and wife. The last verse of chapter 2 tells us that the man and his wife were naked and they were not ashamed. But then we come to verse 7 here after the fall and we read that the eyes of both were open and they knew they were naked and they showed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So for once there was a wonderful harmony and even an innocence, there's now a terrible guilt and shame. A little bit further on, Verse 16, we see that now because of sin and the curse that follows, man and wife will face struggles in the relationship. There is a breakdown. Speaking to the woman, 
God says your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. So marriages where harmony should abound will at times become struggles of self-will. Loving lifelong partners will need God's help to get along. I wonder did you notice from the passage that the roles God intends for marriage are actually reversed. Eve acted completely independently of her husband and is led astray without his, his guidance and his counsel. And Adam, he's entirely abandoned his rules of the divinely appointed head. He took leadership from his wife. He listened to her, he let her lead. The roles have swapped around completely and it's led to disaster. And this is, of course, why we should pay attention to the fact that God gives us specific roles, not just in relation to marriage, not just in family, but even in the church. It's not that man and woman aren't equal. We went very deep into that a couple of weeks ago in midweek, and that was a, a fun night. And it's not, of course, that husbands are to take advantage of their headship, because there's no excuse for that either. Simply that we're created with different roles to complement one another. It's the way a Christian marriage will work best. It's the way a Christian family will work best. And it's even the way that uh, the church on earth can work best. And here we'll have a sobering example of what happens when we rebel against what God has said in place. But we shouldn't let doubt creep in about this issue or any issue. Don't allow yourself to be lied to. And don't believe the promised advantages of going against what God has set in place. Because it can only end in disaster. Eve, and of course all women, as implication, will desire the headship of their husbands. There will be struggles. Even in the most intimate of human relationships. There's a breakdown in the relationship between man and wife. The next breakdown then is in the relationship between man and God. All you have to do is look at verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. So again, where there was once harmony, there's almost a game of hide and seek. Before, before they took fruit from the tree, if the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve were happy as they walked and as they talked with God. They were, now they were totally ashamed of their nakedness. We have to seek cover to hide from Of course, there's no place to hide from God. There never is. But this is a, a severe act of rebellion. And it destroys this once harmonious relationship between man and God. God's presence used to fill them with joy. Now it fills them with dread. And they even sense that their fig leaves aren't good enough to cover their shame and their nakedness. Their shame is deep and their guilt is so great. The relationship they once enjoyed with their awesome creator is completely in tatters. We'll come back to that in a moment. Then the third relationship, the breakdown, is between man and creation. Man and wife, man and God, and then man and creation. We really see this from verses 14 to 19 with this long list of curses. Because really of sin entering the world. The ground is cursed in such a way that it will reluctantly bring forth a crop and a food. It's going to be by hard labour, by pain and sweat and toil. It's not the work has just entered into the world. After all, God put Adam in the, the garden to work at the table. We hear that and we see that in uh, chapter 2. But the object of his work has just been cursed. It shall now bring forth thorns and thistles to choke crops. The woman will suffer pain and childbearing. The serpent will go all the days of his life in his belly. Life is now heading towards one destination because death is now entered the world. Adam was made of dust and the dust he shall return. So there's a time limit placed on every living thing. Now in chapter 4, if we went on, we would see that the first murder we would hear of Cain and Abel the first death actually takes place here in chapter 3. It's easy to miss. It's the death of an animal. Because God made garments of skin to clothe that and eat. Death is officially here. Everything has just changed. Satan 
manipulated Eve with doubts, with lies, with false promises. The relationships between man and wife, man and God, and man and creation are all in tatters. What then, apart from his obvious anger and curse, what is God's response? What is it that God does for the sinner? Well, first God seeks the sinner. Verse 9. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Adam and Eve are both too ashamed to come into the presence of God. They, they now know good and evil. They know that what they've done is to sin against the Lord God. They stay in their hiding place. Their shame is too great. And so one thing is for sure. It was only God who could do the seeking. It was only God who could call out them. Remember, Adam and Eve experienced God in a wonderful way. They walked with him. They talked with him in the garden. They seen his creation completely untainted, working perfectly, no corruption. They experienced such wonderful blessings. They seen God in, in his glory in, in some way. They were filled with joy at his presence before now. But folks, if Adam and Eve experienced all of this, and then they still hide from God after sin, what do you think it means for sinners today? Do you think that any sinner is going to stand in the open as someone who breaks the law of God, who consistently rebels against him and expects to look for God to seek him? That's what some people genuinely think. How many times have you heard of people who are happy to live their lives their own way, but they'll say, I'll come to God in the moment, I'll come to God even in the deathbed, at the last possible moment. And they think they get the best of both worlds. But the problem with that, of course, is that God is the one who does the seek. It's not the other way around. And there's not even any guarantee that if he calls you today, or tomorrow, or the next day, and you refuse, that he'll never call you again. Never mind in 30 or 40 or 50 years when your heart's a tide of heart. And so the question of God to Adam and Eve in this passage is also asked each of us. Where are you? God isn't asking that question because he doesn't know the answer. He knows where they are. He knows what has happened. He wants an explanation. Where are you? Who told you that you were naked? What is it that you have done? God seeks and he awaits the answer. He doesn't get an honest one here, of course, because this lame game begins. It's the start of a reluctance to admit one's own sin and unwillingness to repent. And repentance, of course, is still the issue. The point is that God still seeks the sinner. We would never come to him on our own in our shameful and our evil state. We would hide. But when he comes to us and when he asks the question, where are you? It's not a time to pass the blame. It's not a time to come up with weak and feeble excuses. It's a time to own up. And it's a time to repent. Those who are in sin or who have strayed from God need to seriously consider this morning that question. Where are you? God seeks the sinner. And thankfully he also provides for the sinner a way to come back to him. Verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his head. This is known as the first gospel, that little verse. And this is a promise. This time it's a real promise from a real deliverer. Because after crushing the physical, or after cursing the physical servant to go along in his belly all the days of his life, God then turns to the spiritual deceiver, the spiritual servant, the father of lies, and he says to him, there will, be no, there will be one who will come who will bruise your head. You will be crushed, and you may well cause this serpent crusher to suffer, but you will be defeated forever. Right in the middle of this passage of sin and of curses, there's a message of hope shining forth. It is a gracious promise made of Christ, the one who would come to deliver man 
from this power that Satan has over him. He will defeat the serpent. And he will destroy him with a final blow. A way to make a sinful man a way for them to come back to God. Christ Jesus is the one whom God provided for sinners. Provided to fully and completely cover our sins. That's the last thing, cover. Because God seeks the sinner, he provides for the sinner, and finally God covers the sinner. And we'll touch on this briefly. We're coming back to it now. Verse 21. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, of skins and clothed them. Adam and Eve, their self-made attempts to cover themselves were inadequate, to say the least. They were simply not good enough to cover their shame and allow them to boldly come into the presence of God again. 